is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. Today is the Feast of All Saints, and our guest is Father Jesse Bolger, Pastor of St. Joseph in Fullerton. We're going to talk about sainthood and also look at some of the saints who have served in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Here's our interview with Father Jesse Bolger. Being a saint is all about being holy. Uh, When the church speaks of holiness, what does it mean? Well, at a base level, it means to be whole, to be made whole, as God has intended for us. And I guess the context of that is realizing that we kind of lost that wholeness uh, at the beginning uh, with Adam and Eve's uh, disobedience. And and so the the fall, uh, original sin enters the world. And so that begins this great story of of redemption, a salvation history that comes uh, its completion in Jesus Christ that passion, death, and resurrection, establishing the church. And then we are, you can say, in the end times, awaiting his second coming. So so the church, what we mean by holiness is is being who God intended us to be, but we can't do that on our own. We need the help of grace. We need the church and the sacraments. Ever since the Second Vatican Council, there seems to have been a stronger focus on the universal call to holiness. Could you talk about that? In what ways are we called to be holy, and how can we achieve that holiness? Sure, and, and it's true. You know, I, I think of you know this is rooted in, in Scripture, um, and and Saint Paul, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. He says, "For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness." We think of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse forty-eight: "You therefore must be perfect, you must be holy, as your heavenly Father is perfect." The church has, has, in every age, called us to this, and not just for a select few, but everyone. And, and maybe, maybe that that was a theme, uh, absolutely, of the Second Vatican Council. This this notion of the universal call to holiness. Uh, I was reminded of of that, and 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 the forms it takes when I first entered seminary in 2001, and I I gave tours and I served at the Basilica of the National Shrine, the Immaculate Conception, in Washington D.C. And in the upper church, that great upper church, and this is, of course, uh, a basilica in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the title of Immaculate Conception, and it's America's cathedral, Basilica to Our Lady. And as you leave, right before you, you reach the narthex, and the great organ is above it, the choir loft there, is a bas relief uh, to the universal call to holiness. So it does have Mother Teresa, and Mother Teresa, it shows a young person on a bicycle, uh, but saying that all of us in our particular state of life are called to holiness, to be whole, uh, to live as God uh, intends us uh, to be, uh, whether that is as a priest, a celibate priest, consecrated religious, married, or single. The way we can all know that we are living holiness is whether we are living in the state of grace or not. Of course, what that means is that 
we're going to confession on a regular basis and that, um, you know, we're being true to God and to the ones we love um, in our particular state in life. There's a great freedom, I, I find, in being Catholic and in the sacraments and especially knowing uh, this, that, that I can be in the state of grace. Again, I'd say in the context of everything we've been going through with the, uh, the pandemic and, our, and sadly the, the months we were separated from the altar, also a theme at, at the parish where I'm pastor, St. Joseph Fullerton, we're, we're calling this the year to recommit and acknowledging that um, we can't receive grace virtually. The virtual is important, and I'm speaking to you over the phone, and those will reach this interview online, but we need physically to receive Jesus in the Eucharist to be transformed and be given the help and the grace we need to live out this universal call to holiness. When we think of sainthood, a lot of people automatically think of canonization, and of course the the church has a formal process for canonization, but uh, that might lead some people to think that there's only a select few people in history who are actual saints but that's not quite the case. Uh, heaven is filled with saints, just not all of them are canonized. Absolutely, and, and yeah, I've actually heard it said that, you know, please God when we get to heaven, and as we know, as Catholics, we don't believe we're once saved, always saved, you know, it's one day at a time, but please God, if, if when we get to heaven, that we'll be surprised at, at who's not there <laughs> and who is there. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's a warning, it's a reminder um, for all of us you know, the little flower, St. Therese, you know, said, I'm not settling for half measures and for purgatory. I want to be a saint. And she said, my greatest work will be done from heaven. And she, you know, she died at the, what, the age of 24. And so the, the formal process recognizes the heroic virtue uh, and accomplishments of certain individuals throughout the world. But the church holds them up to inspire us to that same uh, way of life. Uh, whether it be a hidden way of life, as St. Therese did in a, in a cloistered Carmelite cell, a very small room, uh, who became a doctor of the church, or, or St. Teresa of Calcutta or St. John Paul II who traveled the globe. So uh, there, there are many paths to, the, to this to sainthood, to heaven. What are the formal steps to canonization in the Catholic Church? What does it take to be canonized? It, it is basically a four-step process. First, and typically it would be at least five years after someone's death, although the Pope could waive this, um, a bishop where that individual resided is engaged uh, by the faithful. You know, the, the laity are, are the ones that really drive this in so many ways. They're the ones that have been touched by, by the saints. And so they engage their bishop. And the second stage is a determination. So the bishop um, looks into it and uh, the merits are there sends a formal uh, letter of request to the congregation for the causes of saints. So that's step two, and, and that's looked at. And then, uh, and then after the, that, that aspect, it, there would be a beatification, uh, if not a martyr. You know, if, if one is killed and martyred for the faith, we say that this, is, this would be uh, sanctification and canonization on the spot for the giving of their life. Think of Saint, someone like St. Thomas More. Uh, but uh, a miracle in the beatification stage must be attributed through the intercession of this individual. And so once that is, is, is verified, uh, they can be venerated as, as beatified, uh, blessed. And then the fourth stage is the final stage, canonization. So there needs to be a second miracle attributed to this in- individual's intercession. And then the Pope de- declares this individual a saint. And there's a, uh, a great mass and... Uh, and, and very often this would happen in St. Peter's uh, in Rome uh, when the, the canonization takes place.
what does it mean to have a, a saint pray for you or to ask a saint to pray for you? And, and why should why is that an option to go through a saint in that way? You know, some of my, my good Protestant friends uh, have asked me, why can't I just go to Jesus Christ? <laughs> why, do, why do you guys pray to saints? And I guess the question I ask them often is, well, why do you ask friends to pray for you? Why do you, um, why do you help others in need? You know, no man is an island. And so we believe as Catholics that love transcends space and time. The love that we have for those who have died and the love they have for us in turn. And this goes back to your question about how can we know who's in heaven. And so, you know, for, um, for one I loved, we, we offered masses for them if they're deceased. But if they lived a good life, were true to Christ, we, we can have confidence that uh, they're either in purgatory on the way or they've reached heaven. And so this communion, this friendship, we're made for that. It seems to me it's, it's just a logical thing that that love can, as I say, can transcend space and time. And uh, the finite life we experience here on earth, as we look at the universe and, and the world and, and history, uh, there's something in this, I believe, that tells us that there's something beyond that we even can participate in. And for us, we say that's heaven and the saints that intercede for us. What have the saints meant to you in your own spiritual life? Well, I can say that they've meant a, a tremendous amount. Um, and if you talk to, to my family, uh, my, they would definitely tell you I'm, I'm a work in progress, and I'm sure my parishioners as well. So uh, <laughs> this is a, a great thing about the saints, uh, that they show us that, that we can have a particular temperament. Um, you know, that God gave us. That w they're not cookie cutter at all, the saints. Um, in my own life of conversion, uh, early on, uh, a friend of mine, a mentor, gave me a, a biography, both on St. Ignatius of Loyola and one who preceded him, St. Francis of Assisi. And, and their lives of conversion um, and reading about them that helped me uh, greatly along the way. I take my staff on retreat once a year, and we just went on retreat last week. We went to the uh, St. Mary's Spiritual Center on Packer Street. And I had a gentleman um, come in and, and, and lead us in the retreat. Uh, and, and anyway, he showed a clip uh, from the late Steve Jobs, who, who founded Apple. And, and so many people, I'm speaking to you from an Apple device right now, actually. Mm -hmm. But he's asked about his success. And he said, well, you know, the key to success is passion. And he said, uh, there are a lot of talented people out there, but they give up along the way. And we know that Steve Jobs didn't. And, and if you read his story, he had challenging moments. But he said, if you want to be successful in life, you have to be willing to go through very difficult things and keep going forward. You have to have a passion and love that can transcend difficulty. St. John Paul II inspired me. The first time I was in his presence was 1995 at Camden Yards. I remember going to that mass there. And as soon as he came in, and just kind of the dichotomy of he was in his Pope mobile, they were playing boys to men <laughs> through the uh, sound system. And, and kind of the way he could even transcend culture, uh, which I, I just saw was so beautiful. And, and uh, I happen to be in a parish now that has a good amount of African immigrant Catholics. And they reminded me that he made five pastoral visits to the continent of Africa. Anyway, so that element inspired me of him. I went to Rome in 2000, my first time to Rome, even before I entered seminary. I entered seminary in 2001. And I remember being there in October, and he offered a mass consecrating um, the church, the new millennium, to Our Lady of Fatima. 
But as I looked around St. Peter's Square, I saw people from all around the world. And I said, I want to be a part of this church. Uh, I want to feed others with the Eucharist. I want to be a bridge builder as a pastor, as St. John Paul II. And then the last uh, experience I'll share is from uh, October of 2004. And, and of course, we know that the Holy Father died in 2005 on the Vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday. We were at the Wednesday audience as seminarians. After the audience, uh, we were able to have our picture taken beside St. John Paul II. And it was a rainy, cold day. There was a little over, uh, canopy to protect him, but it was rainy, it was cold. And I could almost touch him. I was so close. He was shaking from the Parkinson's disease that was taking his life. And there was, there was spittle, there was drool coming down the side of his face. And I said, you know, this, this holy man would have every right to be in his room sleeping right now. But he's with these guys, these people that he doesn't even know because he's such a true holy pastor. And I, I pretty much was brought to tears every time I was in his presence, in part of my own unworthiness in the presence of a saint. Um, and so I would say that the attributes of a saint should be one who is humble, generous, grateful, you know, other-centered, magnanimous, passionate, unifier, all these things St. John Paul II possessed and lived. And I just pray that for the church and for everyone, from Pope Francis on down to the hidden person in the pews. We're all called to these attributes and to this way of life. Our guest today is Father Jesse Bolger, pastor of St. Joseph in Fullerton. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the saints who have lived right here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. We'll be back in a moment. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with a Catholic Review. During a virtual town hall with state and local officials October 26th, Archbishop William E. Lurie spoke forcefully in favor of police reform, addressing head-on why the Archdiocese of Baltimore has taken such an active role in supporting recent demonstrations on policing and racial justice. Quote, it's not hard for us to begin with a very basic truth in Scripture that every person is made in God's image and likeness and therefore possesses inherent dignity, Archbishop Laurie said. If we think about the law of love in the New Testament, it's not a stretch to say that we have to create communities where the common good is preserved and where people have a chance to grow up, end quote. Too often that's not the case in communities around Baltimore, he said. The Archbishop was joined by Baltimore Police Commissioner Michael Harrison, and state lawmakers, Delegate Sandy Rosenberg and Senator Jill Carter, both Democrats who represent Northwest Baltimore. Auxiliary Bishop Dennis J. Madden, who often leads prayer walks through areas affected by gun violence, also joined the discussion sponsored by the Maryland Catholic Conference, the legislative lobbying arm of the state's Catholic bishops. 
to achieve more racial justice, Archbishop Lori said, the Archdiocese must first acknowledge its own history of racism and learn from it. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. As protests against a near-total ban on abortions grip Poland, Pope Francis urged the people of the country to defend life. Poland's Constitutional Court ruled October 22nd a clause in Poland's 1993 abortion law allowing pregnancy terminations in cases of severe and irreparable fetal damage was unconstitutional. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Today on the Feast of All Saints, we're speaking with Father Jesse Bolger, pastor of St. Joseph in Fullerton, about sainthood and some of the saints who served in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Father Jesse, here in the Archdiocese, we're blessed to have two canonized saints, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and St. John Newman. Could you tell us about them? Well, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton uh, was born in the year 1774, so just two years before our founding as a nation. In New York, Elizabeth uh, married a, a gentleman named William Seaton. He was in, worked in, in the shipping business, was good for a while, went south at one point. But, but more than that, unfortunately for him, uh, he developed tuberculosis. And so uh, the family traveled uh, to, of all places, Italy for, for William to convalesce there. And they stayed with a, um, a Catholic family, not surprisingly. And, it, and being a Episcopal, Elizabeth Sally did, did not have access to the true sacrament of the Eucharist. And she was drawn to the Eucharist adoration, being with this family. Well, her husband died, leaving her with five children. She came back to America, became Catholic, was ostracized really by those that she was friends with in, in New York. Um, so she came here to, to Baltimore. And I, I did reference going on staff retreat uh, with, with my staff to St. Mary's Spiritual Center on Packer Street. Well, actually... She made her first vows there in the, um, the basement, you could say, the lower chapel of the beautiful chapel of St. Mary's there. And the Sulpicians, who had founded this, the first seminary in America, had built a, a, a very nice house. And they said, you can use this for a girls' school. This was 1808. And the home you can still go and walk through for tours, which only lasted one year there and grew out of the house. So she went to Emmitsburg. Uh, the rest is history. Um, she started, uh, I, I'd encourage people to go to Emmitsburg if you haven't, to the Seton Shrine, uh, to go on tour there. Uh, she's buried there. You can uh, venerate her, her body and really get a, a wonderful tour on the life of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. And sometimes we, we say she founded the school system that we know uh, to this day uh, for children. So education, formation in the Catholic faith, thoroughly Catholic, uh, was at the heart of, of her mission. St. John Newman uh, was born in uh, the Czech Republic, what is now the Czech Republic in 1811, so had to come here to America and, and learn new language, of course, and uh, became a redemptorist priest, and he professed his religious vows as redemptorist in Baltimore. He became the first uh, redemptorist priest to profess uh, here in America. He served uh, for time at St. Alphonsus in Baltimore, which was a German parish uh, for, for many, many years, and uh, was eventually made bishop in Philadelphia. He did kind of give the church the 40-hour devotion, among other things. So he served seven years as bishop, but worked so hard that he died uh, on the streets of Philadelphia, actually, 
only at the age of 48, ministering to, to his flock. So I think he's a great example to every bishop uh, to really get out there and pound the pavement and to be with their people. And the priest who succeeded St. John Newman as pastor of St. Alphonsus in Baltimore was Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, who was also a redemptorist. And he was actually ordained a redemptorist priest in the redemptorist parish of St. James in Baltimore. And then in our archdiocese, he went on to serve not only at St. Alphonsus, but also at St. Mary in Annapolis and Saints Peter and Paul in Cumberland. Could you tell us about him? Yes, and, and actually Blessed Silos has a connection to, to our parish and that he laid um, the cornerstone of, of our church uh, on the, in his former location on Buck Schoolhouse Road. Blessed Silos was born in 1819, Germany, and traveled here to America. He served uh, throughout Maryland and, and, and traveled a good bit. The late Monsignor Art Bastris, I remember him telling me, who was longtime pastor of St. Alphonsus, where um, Blessed Silos served as pastor, that he said I, he could sense Blessed Silos' presence in the confessional. And I remember that Monsignor Bastris um, told me that he kind of had a conversion of heart um, and even challenged uh, to be a better confessor through the intercession of, of Blessed Silos. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he told me this, he, he really had a lot of passion, and, uh, and that, la- that always lasted with me as an example of how the saints can interact with us. And Blessed Silos actually died ministering to people with yellow fever in New Orleans. What a great reward and way to get to heaven, to serving your people to the end. Here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, we're blessed to have two Catholic seminaries. The first in the country was St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore, and the second was Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg. And each of those seminaries has a Catholic priest who is now beatified. Blessed Michael McGivney, the founder of the Knights of Columbus, who was just beatified yesterday, attended St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore and was ordained at the Baltimore Basilica by then Archbishop James Gibbons in 1877. And we had a whole show on him last week. And we also have Blessed Stanley Rother, who attended Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg and who was a really heroic priest who uh, was martyred for his faith. And a lot of people don't know about him. Could you tell us about Blessed Rother? Blessed Stanley Rother, he was born in 1935 in Oklahoma, and uh, he did study at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. I've actually talked to a, a priest uh, in this archdiocese that remembers him in seminary. And I would recommend a book that I read recently called The Shepherd Who Didn't Run. And uh, this is a new biography on the life of, of Blessed Stanley Rother. So he felt this call to, to serve uh, the people uh, in Guatemala, learn their indigenous language, and so you'll, you can read in this book about how he even drove, on, drove there all the way to Central America from Oklahoma. There was a political unrest. He, he came back to his diocese. They was warned, you know, you, you shouldn't go back. Uh, he did go back. And um, guerrillas came into his rectory. He defended himself, but he was killed. He was martyred ultimately for his love of his people and for, for speaking that publicly. So, yes, he's, he's beatified in the next stage of the canonization. There are two other holy people associated with the Archdiocese of Baltimore whose canonization causes are under consideration in Rome. One is Father Demetrius Galitsyn, who was a Russian prince and a convert to Catholicism from the Russian Orthodox Church. He converted in 1787 and went on to study for the priesthood at St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore, and he was ordained by Bishop John Carroll. And Father Galitsyn served as a pastor of St. Patrick in Cumberland 
and was also the first pastor of St. Joseph in Tawnytown. He was known as the Apostle of the Alleghenies for his travels on horseback, serving as a circuit-riding priest in western Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and what is now West Virginia. And then we also have Mother Mary Lang. Could you tell us about her? Absolutely, and, and this is amazing, too. I go back to St. Mary's Baptistry. I just found out from the tour I went on that she, too, made her vows like uh, St. Elizabeth Van Seton in, you might say, the basement or the lower level of St. Mary's, which is mm-hmm. I find is, is a great point about the humility of the saints. If you want to become a saint, you've got to get low. You've got to be small mm-hmm. and humble. But anyway, she was born, we believe, in Cuba around the year 1794, immigrated to Baltimore, and she actually was a catechist for uh, helping the Sulpicians there at St. Mary's. And she, she, we believe she had a master's degree in education. And uh, so she said, hey, uh, to the priest, uh, can, I, can I start taking more of a leadership role? They said, absolutely. And from there, she recognized that, that the black Catholics in Baltimore and, and others, uh, this was still before our Civil War. So there was slavery that existed even after um, – 1865, there was segregation. So she formed the first black order of the Oblate Sisters of Providence, um, not just, I believe, for, for Baltimore, but of the world. And, and so had a, had a small home and school in Fells Point and uh, just continued this work that exists to this day uh, with her order. An important um, saint to look to in, in these days when, when we struggle with much of racism and, and the call to be one. And, and so we look to this saint as someone who did that work, and we recognize that work isn't finished. And the school that she founded, St. Francis Academy in East Baltimore, is still going strong. Exactly. Well, Father Jesse Bolger, pastor of St. Joseph in Fullerton, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, George. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week, available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM, also WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area, and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, Let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.